Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. It, it's, I'm sorry, it's not, not a different story. It's been the same story in and out of this, this whole season, and we've got to see if we can turn this thing. I, I'm, I'm really done. What was your... Why did you feel the need to come back in? Because we've had a relationship. I have a relationship with the media that I think I respect the heck out of everything you guys do. And I know you got stories to write. I think if I shortchange you on the stories, and that you've got a job too. And I've felt, felt that way my whole life in, in, in coaching. And, and uh, you know, I res- and so I did it out of respect to you guys. And because uh, I know you got a job to do. And I don't want, you know, I don't need to make it hard on you. So I'm available because it makes sense to me why I should be here right now. Is this as frustrated as you've been here? Yes, absolutely. It's not even close. Never pick a fight with the guy who buys his ink by the truckload, especially when you're going to need those folks to make the argument as to why you shouldn't be fired at the end of the season. That was very smart by Pete Carroll to come back and placate the writers who will eventually be opining on whether or not change needs to be made in Seattle. And you know what? Three and seven. Hard not to say that change doesn't need to be made in Seattle, Mike. Oh, th- listen, that, that team's going to need some rehaul. There, there, there's no doubt about it. It'll be interesting given what happened with Russ Wilson in the offseason. Does that come up again? And is he part of that? Or is, would he like to be around you know, as they try and bring this thing back. But listen, they're, they're a bad football team right now. They had a bad offensive line for a while. Russ has had to make plays all over the, play, all over the place with his feet. And the Legion of Boom seems like it was decades ago, you know, when, when this defense was a, uh-oh, were, were you playing Seattle? Well, win or lose, you know, if I play offense, I'm going to need an ice bag after this one because of the licks I'm going to get laid on me. So it's just, they're, they're just a bad team right now. It's got to be very frustrating. It's a testament to how great they've been that, that they're so bad right now. 
They've they've had a winning record every season since 2012. Even yeah. the year they didn't make the playoffs, they were nine and seven. They have been incredible, and I think that's what underscores the struggles they're currently having. All right, it's superlatives time. Mike Golick, you're up. Well, I'm going to say, hey, when you get your chance, what do you make of it? And that's Tyler Huntley from Baltimore. You know, they beat the Bears 16 to 13. Huntley gets a text uh, from Lamar Jackson basically saying, hey, do your thing, because Lamar was sick again, not COVID, and wasn't going to play in this game. Now, the stats weren't out of his mind. Obviously, no touchdowns, one interception, 26 to 36 for 219. Did have seven runs for 40 yards. But what kind of play do you come up with when you need it at the end? They needed a big play at the end. He rolls right, makes a nice deep pass down the middle. Devonta Freeman ends up running that one into the end zone for the uh, for the game winner for them. So here's a guy who, as I said, the stats weren't unbelievably great, but they were enough. He was efficient enough, and when he needed the biggest play the most, when the team needed the biggest play the most, he ended up pulling it out for that team. So great job getting your chance uh, and being able to do something with it and getting a win for your team and hanging on to that top spot. Uh, they're one of the one of the few division leaders that actually won a game yesterday. Huntley told me after the game that Sammy Watkins was the third read on that throw that set up the go-ahead touchdown, the game-winning touchdown. And he also said, because I, I, after he explained how he got the word directly from Lamar that Huntley would be starting on Sunday in place of Lamar Jackson, who's now had three different illnesses, non-COVID illnesses during the regular season, I said, what? did you think the percentage chance was when you went to bed Saturday night that you would start? And he said, I just assumed it was me. I prepared as if it was me. And if I hadn't prepared as if it was me all day Saturday, it would have been a different outcome on Sunday. And, and speaking of preparation with those three different non COVID illnesses during the regular season, there was a back injury for Lamar Jackson that knocked him out of a couple of practices. He was on the COVID list in training camp, all those extra reps, for Tyler Huntley made the difference. He's had the opportunities because Lamar Jackson has been out for so many practices. It helped the preparation of Tyler Huntley, and it'll help if he has to play for Lamar Jackson again coming up. Now, I'm told that they'll be shocked if he doesn't play next Sunday night when they return home to face the Browns, but they can at least have some comfort that, that they can hold it together. The defense steps up like it did yesterday. They can hold it together and score enough points to win. Yeah, I, I it, it's and, and in that division, I don't know where we're going in that division. You know, do, do we have that figured out uh, as well? Pittsburgh, and we'll talk about it in that game last night. I mean, I didn't think they had the offense to put up as many points as they did, yet they make this miraculous comeback and almost pull it off, but they don't. Uh, Cleveland, you know, injuries galore there. and Cincinnati, we'll see. They can be up and down, so... As we talked about earlier, this is about health. It's about having your guys right by the end of the season. And Lamar Jackson, you mentioned it. And it's been more the sicknesses, like I said, obviously, except for the back uh, that have kept him out. But, you know, that's a guy you obviously need right come playoff time. First one for me is the thanks for nothing award. You mentioned the Browns. Baker Mayfield, after a victory yesterday over the Detroit Lions, in which he was booed multiple times, Left the field in, you know, kind of a little bit of a salty demeanor. Stiffed the media. Mike, we just talked earlier about thou shalt not pick a fight with those who buy their ink by the truckload. Mayfield declined to talk to the media. And 
There was an effort by reporters to find out, well, is he getting medical treatment? Is that the reason? Because that can be an excuse for not talking. Apparently, he just decided, I'm not going to talk. And uh, under league rules, that's a no-no, as we learned from Marshawn Lynch. I'm just here so I won't get fined. Uh, This is a a delicate time for Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. He's got to be justifiably upset that he's out there with – a harness that you can now see. He's got a knee injury. He's got a heel injury. He's doing everything he can to be available to play. And these people aren't grateful. And we still got to win. Well, it was ugly. And the Lions stink. And they shouldn't have won by only three points. And maybe some of the people were booing because they took the Browns and gave the points. But uh, which is now, you know, legal in most jurisdictions. Yeah. So uh, it's, not, it's not just did you win, Baker. It's did you cover, uh, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they weren't happy with the outcome. But th- this this just feels well, like uh, yeah, it's in a very fragile I, I th- spot. I think there's a. I think there's a frustration. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I think there's a big frustration level with probably the Browns overall, and certainly Baker Mayfield. This was that year, right? We talked about the deals that are going to go out to a Josh Allen, to a Lamar Jackson, to a Baker Mayfield. Where, where, when and where were they going to happen? We know what happened, obviously, with Josh Allen. We know Lamar is representing himself, so we'll wait to see what happens there. And, and Baker, statistically, he's not having a good year, right? We're seeing bad passes. We're seeing overthrows. Now you got injuries to boot, which certainly can affect his play. But as I said all the time, even if you're injured, if you step on that field, you're saying I'm good enough to play, so you have to produce. But that doesn't mean there isn't frustration level going on, and he's a high, highly frustrated with what's happening now. People are questioning him. So it's, it's kind of easy, easier to say, man, you got to go face the music of the media. And I'm saying he should. You, you, that's why, you know, it's not like the immediacy. They're not running in. This isn't NASCAR after a crash where they get a microphone right in the guy's face and you get those heated confrontations. You do get a little time, not a ton, but you do get a little time in the locker room to kind of come down a little bit to at least get to the point where you have to realize, I need to go in there and talk. I need to go in there and face this because eventually you're going to have to. And then, you know, one of the questions, why didn't you talk after the game? And then you're going to have to relive that whole thing. It doesn't go away. You know, it doesn't. So the quicker you can just face that head on, and there is frustration, and deal with it, the better off I think you're going to be. A lot of people will throw arrows at the media for, oh, let a guy be, or this and that. Listen, the media has a job. You heard Pete Carroll come back in and say, I understand you guys have a job to do. It's not like you always love the questions that are asked, but they do have a job to do. And players have a responsibility and a rule that they have to talk. So they need to do that. And I'm sure as this starts to roll up and and, bake, and, and he's asked about it more, I, I'm sure in the future I realize it's better to just get that out of the way and, and talk about it right after the game. My second superlative is going to be, hey, pick the great time to, to have my best game, Taylor Heineke and what he did for Washington. We just started talking about Carolina last week saying, did they get themselves – Back into the playoff picture. Cam Newton's coming back and starting. He's screaming on back. He does throw a couple of touchdowns and runs for another one and does the thing where he runs the middle of the field, puts the ball down and does the Superman thing. But Heineke picked this game to have his best. I think he had 141 rating or some number like that. 
threw for three touchdowns and no interceptions, 16 of 22. You know, Washington is looking for a quarterback. He's not going to be, I don't think, the future quarterback of that team. They're going to, they're going to draft someone to try and make the future quarterback of that team. So all T Taylor Heineke can do, whether it's for Washington, continue for a little while longer, I mean into next year, or another team, whatever it's going to be, he can, all he can do is go out there and play and you audition, right? You re I think even he realizes, are they going to make me the quarterback full-time here for the next decade? I don't even think he's going to believe that and that they'll try and get somebody else. But he's playing well enough to either, if he's not going to be there, try and be a starter for somebody else. That's kind of how it works. You try and take advantage of your opportunity, and good for him doing it. You know, we've seen him do some good games. We've seen him fall off a little bit at times, and he picked a good one yesterday to have one heck of a game, statistically and rating-wise, his best game he's played. And that had to mean even more to Ron Rivera, the coach of the Washington football team, even though he downplayed the idea that he – had a little extra something for the Panthers. They fired him two years ago. He went back in there looking to prove, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing better than fine. I'm doing better than you, and I'm going to get this victory. And now they've got two in a row. They've doubled their win total, and they're one of the many teams in the NFC. Everybody except the Lions is very much alive for a playoff berth in the NFC. Last one for me. Because even the Seahawks are alive at three and seven, but this is this is the low watermark award. I'm going to finish where we started with the Seahawks because the winds of change are going to be blowing very very hard in Seattle. But here's what's fascinating about that organization: Paul Allen died in 2018. His sister Jody took over his vast holdings, and Vulcan Incorporated manages everything. I say that because. You know, from time to time, you'll have a football team that get passed from one family member to another, and maybe that person, you know, takes the franchise and runs with it, takes it to new heights, or maybe that person's inept, or maybe that person just isn't all that engaged. That's how Randy Lerner was in Cleveland after his father, Al, passed. He kind of took the team because what else am I going to do with it? He held it for a while, and then he sold it because he really wasn't into it. I don't know how into it Jody Allen is. And it's always going to be profitable. If you're looking at these businesses as, you know, most businesses are viewed, are you making more money than you're costing? Yeah, the Seahawks are a great investment. They're a great property. Major changes don't need to be made. But if you care about the fate of the team, if you care about the pursuit of championships, it's not going well right now. And that's important to me, Mike, to understand who really is, if anyone, on the hot seat. Maybe no one is. Maybe they don't care. Maybe Pete Carroll's there as long as he wants to be there. But I'm, tell I'm telling you, I do a weekly spot on KJR every Wednesday night. And uh, they, for the first time, when I did it, did it last week, the hosts were, the, the, the knives were out on Pete Carroll. And it just kind of came out of the blue. So I I'll be quick. I know we have to go to break. When I was first got to Philly, the owner there was Norman Brayman. Norman Brayman couldn't care less about the team. Norman Brayman owned car dealerships. He was either in South Florida or the south of France all the time. And by the time we got to the first year of free agency, when we had that nice group together uh, in 1993, there were 11 of us that were free agents, including Reggie White. They didn't re-sign one person. Norman Brayman wow. did not want to spend the money. So, yeah, when you have apathy out of ownership, it certainly can have an effect as it rolls downhill. It'll be interesting to see then how that all plays out in Seattle. Will Russell Wilson stay? Will Pete Carroll stay? Will changes be made? And as they continue to sink, uh, that may become more likely. We'll take a 
break. When we return, the Sunday night football game that may have prompted many to change the channel. I hope you didn't. You missed a hell of a finish. We'll break that one down when PFT Live continues right after this. I'm extremely proud of our football team. As proud as I've been of our football team the entire year. That environment was really, really challenging for us. And we stayed together that fourth quarter. We stayed together the whole game. We played with tremendous energy tonight. I felt the powder blues the whole game in all three phases. And that's why we won the game is because when it was tight and the crowd was going crazy against us, um, our, our guys were ready for a fight today. And I know how the game you know, expressed itself in that fourth quarter and it turned into a wild ride, but we were ready for it because we've played nine games before today where we've been preparing for a fourth quarter like that. And when the fourth quarter happened the way it did, our guys stayed connected. We played our best at the end. We finished the game on our terms. And um, I can't say enough about our players and coaches because that's as good of a win as we've had. Brandon Staley, coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, Mike, when the Chargers were playing in that 30,000-seat soccer stadium and it was being routinely overrun by fans of the opposition. The the Chargers kind of quiet, oh, by the way, argument was it'll be better when we have our new stadium, our bigger stadium. No, it'll be worse because the percentage is still going to be the same, if not greater, of fans of the other team because there was 20 years with no NFL team in the market, so you can follow any team you want. So that team comes to town, I'm getting tickets, and I'm going to see the Steelers play, the Packers play, the Vikings play, this team play, that team play, anybody but the Chargers. We don't care about the Chargers here. And to hear I had coach say how challenging the environment was for a home game is jarring to me. Kudos to the Chargers for getting the win. And they're going to be battle-tested. Right. Hey, there's no such thing as a road game. Every game is a road game for the Chargers. They're the Washington Generals of the National Football League. Listen, they, they, when, when there was talk of two teams going to L.A. when I was still doing a show, I was like, I, I don't know about this. You know, there's just we, – we, we've seen teams not do well in L.A. There's just a ton to do. There can be apathy toward – football because there's so much else to do and then especially if the team isn't going to be very good so that was my thought is and who the hell is going to come to these games you know they're barely going to fill the place and when a team like Pittsburgh or a team like Dallas or some other great traveling team but those are two really big ones travels your that used to happen uh in in Arizona when Dallas played out in Arizona there'd be more cowboy fans out there they just travel better and it's tough when you're sitting in the stands going Wow, what the hell is going on? Until you become not only a good team, but a consistently good team. And that's where the Chargers could be heading right now when you have a young, excellent quarterback like they have in Justin Herbert, the way he's playing. Maybe they're going to turn that tide around. Mike, it's, in all honesty, it's not shocking to me that that goes on uh, right now for them. Because they, they, we saw Herbert, start, obviously, his first year last year, start to go, whoa, wow, he's making a sink. He can do a good job. They revamped some nice areas, like on the old line in the offseason. And now they're coming out and they put up points. They can be an exciting team to watch with a young quarterback who was, what, incredible on the ground last night. Nine runs for 90 yards, and he's got that great slide where he just slides and pops right back up. 
So maybe they're going to turn the tables there and become that consistently not only good team, but fun team to watch and get that crowd to be theirs uh, at some point. But it's not shocking to me that at first it was going to be tough to turn, that they weren't going to automatically have, you know, a full stadium all behind them when they moved there. I didn't think there was any way that was going to happen. They got off to a great start this year. They were 4-1. and one. They beat, well, it was the loss uh, to the Baltimore Ravens. It was the first uh, kind of, uh-oh, what's going on with this team, 34-6. to six. Um, that, that was the first warning shot. And then since then, they've struggled. They lost at New England. They, they barely beat the Eagles, and the Vikings took care of them two Sundays ago. But now here they are at 6-4. and four. They're, they're still very much alive in the AFC. There's a lot of teams at or over 500. But I... I <laughs> You know, they, they need to build on what they did last night. And and they need to forget about the 17-point lead that they blew. To me, it was under those circumstances when the Steelers came back and took the lead, and it felt inevitable that the Steelers were going to win that game. For Justin Herbert to find Mike Williams for the touchdown that delivered the victory, and then, hey, the Steelers got the ball again, but they're not built to go 80 yards in two minutes. They're just not. And uh, and and the, the Chargers stepped up and got it done when they had to. So... You know, it, it really was maximum adversity. Brandon Staley's right. The Steelers felt like they'd won that game, and then there came Herbert and Williams, and that was that. And this was, you know, you look at that game, and it's, what, a 17-10 game at halftime. Some people may have, have, have kind of went away from it, even though that's somewhat, it's a close game, but it was 17-10. And then 10-0 uh, Chargers outscore pitch. So now it's 27-10 to going in the fourth quarter. Who knew we're getting 41 points alone in the fourth quarter? And you look at moments. So you see all the points that Pittsburgh scored in the fourth quarter. But I look at the first points they scored in the fourth quarter, Mike. When Boswell kicks a 36-yard field goal. Understand a 36-yard field goal, that means the ball, he's kicking from the 26. That means they're snapping from about the 18. They're inside the 20-yard line. So good job there by the Chargers holding them to that field goal. Could be a different story if they get a touchdown there instead of a field goal. You look for moments like that where a defense gives up, however it happens, whether it's a turnover and you have bad field position or you give up a bunch of yards, you're bending, and then it gets down to the red zone is, okay, now we're here. Either we got to get a turnover or at the very least, we have to hold them to a field goal attempt. Do not let them get in the end zone. And that's what the Chargers did there. I look at a play like that, you know, where you get three instead of seven. And, and where, how big of a difference that can be, even though there were points all over the place in the fourth quarter. To me, there's some, there was something about that one right out of the gate. Teams inside the 20-yard line, and you kept them out of the end zone. Yeah, that's a great point. On a night when 78 points were scored, if it's three instead of seven once or twice, <laughs> that, that's enough to make a difference in the final analysis. And, you know, the bottom line is, the Steelers have to be feeling like they let one get away, even though they were dead. You know, it, it, it just it felt like this was going to be one of those moments where the Chargers blow it, the Steelers pull it off, and, and to turn it around the way they did under those circumstances was incredibly impressive. And now the Steelers have to shake it off because they've got a tough stretch if they want to keep their hopes at getting to the postseason alive. One last thing coming out of this game, because there were a few hits that, that uh, you know, a little questionable. It was a physical game. But the Cam Hayward, I was waiting for Ben Dreith to show up and say he's giving him the business down there. After that 36-yard run, 
by Justin Herbert. It turned into a pro wrestling match, Mike. I mean, I, and I guess guys get frustrated. And great hustle by 97. He gets down there and makes the tackle. But then he flips him over. He flips him over and he goes for the pin. Hey, get over there. Boom. Oh, what is the, what is going on? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I, I, I've never seen a hit like that so far after the play was over. Look well, at that. Oh. A couple of things. Um, when you're that, when you're that size and you run that far, you're going to get your money's worth. Okay. You have to, I mean, he looked dead tired by the time he got there. Uh, so <laughs> he, he wanted, he wanted so badly uh, to get some oxygen. So like I said, I think you get your money's worth when you get there. Yeah. Was it a little much? Yeah. Was it worthy of an all out brawl? No, but it's your quarterback. So obviously the offensive lineman needs to get down the field. No, by the way, now they got to run all the way down the field as well and protect your quarterback. Can we show that again, though? It almost looked like the WWE <laughs> kind of fake pulled punch. Like he really didn't give him the full, the full, you know, blow no. to the midsection. You know, like they used to do. I, I remember when I first started watching wrestling. It's like, why do they stomp their foot on the ground when they punch the guy in the face? I didn't understand. That was, you know, to create the sound in lieu of actually didn't watch. When he spins him up, it really isn't the full. Now, now, Justin Herbert may say, yes, it was, but, but it didn't look like it was the full driving punch. But still, he's going to hear from the league office. He's going to be making an involuntary contribution to the charity of the NFL's choice pretty soon, I believe. Uh, that'll be happening to Cam Hayward on Thanksgiving week. Let's take a break. When we return, homecoming for Cam Newton to Carolina, playing for Carolina. It looked like it was going to go well until it didn't. We'll discuss that next year on PFT Live. But I, I wanted to enjoy the moment today. Um, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to or we wanted it to, but yet, you know, we, we can learn from it. I think we, ha we have to realize that nobody's going to lay down. Um, I didn't expect that. I know a lot of other guys didn't expect that, but it's still going to come down to us executing the given plan. Um, but for me, I am excited what the future holds, and it's going to start with us you know, tomorrow and going over the film and locking in and doing that as best as we could. Cam Newton's first game back in Carolina after getting the big win over the Arizona Cardinals. It looked like it was going to go well for the Panthers. It ultimately did not. Cam had three total touchdowns. He, he ran to the logo in the middle of the field. Shades of Terrell Owens, although Owens was doing it to disrespect the star, Newton did it to respect right. the Panther logo, but uh, he didn't rip off his helmet and get a 15-yard penalty, which I guess is good. But he can still move. He can still get it done. It just felt like it was going to be his day. It had to be jarring to the Panthers to get that vibe back and the excitement that Cam Newton brings. But ultimately, doesn't matter if the other team scores more points, Mike. Well, it does. And going forward, I mean, and, and Cam had talked about it, Matt Rule had talked about it, is, you know, a two-minute offense. That, that's kind of a whole other part to the playbook. And Cam hasn't been there that long, right? And this is a different offense uh, that, that he's running. So there's a little more to it in the two-minute, which happens at obviously a, a, a quicker, faster rate. 
and the things you have to pick up. Even Cam said, I got to get in that playbook even more on it. And it's tough because you got to learn a whole offense. And then obviously there's that two minute part of it. So, you know, that that's just another aspect of it. People think when you learn the whole offense, you know, it's it's everything, including the two minutes. Some some comes a little slower than the others, or some is more studied early on than that part of it, because you you know, the two minute is in the two minute. You need a whole rest of the game, obviously, to play. And it was, you know, two touchdowns and again a, a high completion percentage out of him, and you didn't see any anything from the shoulder or from the ankle. He looked good. You know, even though he's in his 30s, if he's healthy, he's still one incredible athlete uh, that can do something with the ball. So I'm with you. I thought it was going their way. But as I mentioned earlier, Taylor Heineke has, has the highest rated game of his career. Picked a great time to have it. And Carolina needed it at the end, needed it in that two-minute drill. And it's something that, that needs to be worked on, not for the sake of Cam not being able to produce in that moment, but Cam just not being there long enough to pick up all aspects of that playbook. Yeah, and that's a great point. And they have some more time to get things figured out. They're at Miami this weekend. Then their week off comes in week 13. Not an easy stretch run, though. They got the Falcons, then at the Bills, then Bucks at Saints at Bucks. They got Tampa Bay, two of the last two games. By the way, one of my favorite stats, as I've said before, Cam Newton all-time. 2-0 against Tom Brady. Uh, that may change this year, but but we'll see. And if he stays healthy, they're going to be in every game. And as he learns that offense, they're going to be better. The defense is good. Wasn't good enough yesterday, but but they're still very much alive, even at 5-6, and six, very much alive for a playoff spot in the NFC. There's going to be, Mike, some good teams that don't make it. Maybe a team that would have been good enough to catch fire if they had just gotten in that won't make it. They're going to be some very good football teams just left out this year, and uh, it's all going to be determined in the scrum that's to come over the final seven weeks. Well, I think it's amazing now we're looking at six lost teams that can be in it in the NFC, right? The number of, you know, Washington's a six-loss team now as well as Carolina, you know, and, and, and they played well. The problem with that is with six loss, you, you're pushing toward the, well, they can't really be a 500 anymore, but one win below, one win above, that puts you at, you know, you're, in, you're just consistent enough to be a mid-level team. But who, who finally will take over, you know, in this situation in looking at the playoffs? The Eagles have six losses, but they look really good right now. They're starting to actually, oh my God, run the ball. You know, so they're playing well. So you look at the six lost teams, while none of them are in the playoffs right now, they're only a loss removed from it. With a, with a ways to go. So while I, and I love showing where we are now in the playoff picture, but boy, how that thing could be jumbled up in the next couple of weeks. A lot of cross-pollination that's going to happen as teams play each other and teams will fade and teams will rise and it's staying healthy. It's having depth for when you do have inevitable injuries. It's avoiding that random lightning strike of a key COVID positive. And also, we didn't have many of them this week. But for every team that gets screwed by a horrible officiating call, there's a team that benefits from it. And maybe that's the difference for a team getting into the playoffs and maybe not getting into the playoffs. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll do our Sunday statement draft for week 11 when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected 
the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... A charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Justin Fields got banged up on Sunday at home against the Baltimore Ravens. Rib injury. At one point, there was a discussion they were maybe concerned about his spleen. X-rays negative, but we've seen that with a couple of guys this year where the X-rays are negative, but then they do the scans and they find the rib injury, maybe the small fracture. We'll see. It's a quick turnaround. The Bears play the Lions in Detroit on Thursday. It could be Andy Dalton in place of Justin Fields when that Thanksgiving game happens. All six of the Thanksgiving teams lost on Sunday, Mike. I don't know what that means coming up on Thanksgiving, but they they all six – newsflash, they all six won't lose on Thursday. I can guarantee you that. I don't know much right now about the NFL, but those six teams will not lose on Thursday. All right, Sunday statement time coming out of week 11. Mike, you're up. Well, I'm going to go with, uh, man, it's good to have a quality backup. And, uh, and that draft would be, be Colt McCoy. You know, back it up now three games in Arizona, winning a couple of those. Goes 35 of 44, 328, two touchdowns in their win over Seattle. We were wondering, would Kyler Murray come back this game? But then they have a bye, so sit him another game. Then he get that bye week, and then he can come back after that. And again, a backup quarterback's job is to keep, the, uh, keep your team's head above water until your starter can get back, you know, and that, that's what's going on. You still see a team in Arizona with two losses, the top seed. So while Kyler Murray was out, they held on to the top seed in the, uh, the NFC. So Colt McCoy getting the job done, and that's what you need out of your backup quarterback. Yeah, look, they made that calculated decision. We'll give Kyler Murray one more week and the bye week now, so he should be 100% by the time they come back week 13 and they get that win with Colt McCoy so great statement from him and the Cardinals who arguably are the best team right now in the NFL first one for me and we already talked about him but Jonathan Taylor five touchdowns are you kidding me 180 plus rushing yards and and real MVP cheddar I'm looking at the updated odds at points book Mike he's down to 16 to 1 I think he was north of 20 to 1 maybe even as high as 40 to 1 not that long ago you know usually it's a quarterback of a team that gets a one seed. But the way Taylor's playing, if he keeps having games like yesterday, he'll muscle his way in to that conversation. And and good for him if he does. He has played at a high level 
And as we've said not that long ago, more proof that you don't need to use a top 10 pick on a running back. There are plenty of great guys out there in all rounds of the draft. Boy, he is, really is doing a great job for them behind, again, an excellent O-line that lost its best player in Quentin Nelson. So we'll see where that one goes, but it doesn't take away from what Taylor uh, has been doing. My second one is going to be, man, the dual threat. You know, Debo Samuel and what he's doing. You know, we've seen that out of Cordell Patterson, the wide receiver who's getting running, you know, running back carries as well, kind of multifaceted. Debo doing the same thing now. He leads San Francisco in receptions with 55 but he's run the ball as well. He has 19 runs on the year, and he's going to get more than that. Had, what, eight runs for 79 yards and a touchdown uh, in their win yesterday. So I love the, the teams using the wide receiver, whether it's the jet motion, motion coming deeper in the backfield, or just flat out lining him up in the backfield like a running back. You have it, and that's the name of the game. You have your players, you have your great players, get the ball in their hands any way possible and kudos to the teams that are doing it even if they have to hand it off to him like a running back and Kyle Shanahan the master of drawing up those running plays from every potential guy tight end fullback running back receiver he makes it work and it it helps to have a great player like Samuel to make it happen again I'm going to go back to a guy we already discussed got to give props to Justin Jefferson he is quietly laying the foundation for a great career now we saw with Odo Beckham Jr., it can fall off after three or four seasons. It's about sustained, consistent, high-end performance. But so far, we're seeing it from Justin Jefferson. 11 100-yard receiving games so far in his career. He's got seven left to try to catch Odo Beckham Jr. for 15. All he needs is one more to pass Randy Moss. And, you know, he doesn't have the big spectacular moments like Moss. We don't anticipate them, but... Hey, we saw the deep throw to him yesterday where he almost got into the end zone, scored two other touchdowns, 169 receiving yards, Jefferson getting it done for the Vikings, and that team will go as far as he can make that offense go, Mike. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I love watching him. Again, I love watching the young receivers we have in this league right now. The receiver position is in good hands, could be starting with Justin Jefferson. My last one is going to go to a team you talked about and a player you talked about, but a different player on that team. And I just have to give it up for Carson Wentz. You know, discarded by the Philadelphia Eagles, what were we going to get out of Carson Wentz? A guy that was playing at an MVP level. We keep wanting to hang on to that till he dove into the end zone and blew his knee out. It's never been the same since. Now he hurts his foot early in camp for the Colts. Is he even going to start the season? And here he is. There are only three interceptions. Now, he's never been a big interception guy, though last year there were 15 interceptions. You know, we've seen him under 10 interceptions in the past, but just three so far this year, a quarterback rating of just under 100 right now. And But basically, my point is, you have the excellent running game with Taylor, and he's throwing well and not turning the ball over. That's going to give you a higher functioning offense to help your defense out as well. So, how is Carson Wentz going to do in the changing of the teams and kind of to regain his, his career again? Well, again, he's not unbelievably lighting it up, but he's doing well enough for a team that has a really good running game, and he's not hurting that team with turnovers. Last one for me, and I need to mention this game. Otherwise, everyone in Cincinnati will be even madder at me than they usually are because you hate the Bengals, and you hate this team, and you hate that team. As as, as uh, well, Chris Collinsworth says when he's asked, why do you hate this team, why do you hate that team, I just do, okay? 
I don't hate any one team. I call it like <laughs> I see it, and I call it this way with Joe Mixon. A great statement from him with 123 receiving yards, two touchdowns in a game the Bengals had to have coming out of their bye week. They had lost two in a row. They'd gotten a five and two. We were getting ready to crown them, and then they they get destroyed by the Bengals. They lost to the Jets the week before or the Browns. Excuse me. They lost to the Jets the week before that. They, they reestablished themselves against a struggling Raiders team, and they can continue to go forward. The passing game wasn't as spectacular as it's been this year, but Joe Mixon had his best game of the season. The Bengals right in the thick of things, Mike, at 6-4. and four. A lot of teams in the AFC very much alive, and the Bengals are very much one of them. No, they definitely are, and I love seeing them play at times, but for a team that's trying to grow, what's the main thing that you have to do? is when you start to get better, you have to consistently be better. And just as you mentioned, at times you look and you're like, wow, okay, great young quarterback, great young wide receiver, Mixon running the ball well, but now on a consistent basis, both offensively and defensively, that's the next step for a team that not only has been mediocre, but has flat out been bad for a number of years. And now you see him at times look really good, but now consistency is the word you strive for. Yeah, you're not going to change anyone's minds about you when you follow your signature win over the Ravens in Baltimore by losing to the Jets. It's not going to, it's not going to impress anybody, yeah. but they still have chances, and we'll see if they can turn it around. All right, let's take a break. Monday Night Football, intriguing matchup as Tom Brady tries to avoid losing three in a row for the first time since 2002. We'll talk about that when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. You know, winning football is about doing the right thing uh, as often as possible. Everyone being on the same page, um, great communication, um, and then just giving as best effort as possible on every play. And, um, you know, things aren't always going to go perfect out there, but you got to have, you know, as few as mistakes as possible. And I think there's a real urgency for us to get it right. It has been 29 days, Mike Golick, since the last time the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won a football game. Two losses, a bye week. 29 days ago, they beat the Bears 38-3 at home. The Giants come to town, and the Giants have had 15 days to get ready for this one. And they've bedeviled Tom Brady in the past. Look, everything's lining up for Brady and company to get the win. They need it badly with all these other teams in the NFC winning, and they need to kind of deliver the knockout blow to the Giants when they can. It's not going to be easy. No, no, it's not. And it's a team when you're that good like Tampa Bay, a lot of it, as I said, is self-scouting. What are we doing wrong not what the other team is doing to us, but what are we doing wrong? And then will they get Gronk back tonight, as you and I discussed off air? And also for the Giants, what are they going to? Can they finally get a team together? Get Saquon Barkley back on the field? Hasn't been there since October 10th. So let's see what they can put on, because they're a team that plays hard. There's no doubt about that. Gronk had four touchdowns the first two weeks. Had the rib injury week three. We've only seen him briefly since then. If he can play and play well, that could be a difference for the Buccaneers. That's it for today. We'll see you tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 